Now, I'm floating like a butterfly, stinging like a bee. I earn my stripes. I went from zero to my own hero. You held me down, but I got up. Already brushing off the dust. You hear my voice. You hear that sound. Loud thunder gonna shake the ground. You held me down, but I got up. Get ready, 'cause I've had enough. I see it all. I see it now. I got the eye of the tiger, a fighter, dancing through the fire, 'cause I'm a champion, and you're gonna hear me roar, louder, louder than a lion, 'cause I'm a champion, and you're gonna hear me roar. I know, I know, Katy Perry was an American, but she knew what the Canadian tax system was like, and she wasn't happy. And she was no longer willing to suffer the tyranny of the Canadian tax system. She heard us, she felt us, she knew us, she loved us. Katy Perry wrote a song to rally the Canadian healthcare professionals who were suffering the tyranny of the Canadian tax system. She wrote lyrics centering on standing up for oneself and self empowerment. Thank you very much, Katy Perry. Well, that was a non-artistic, non-talented podcast version of "Roar" by Katy Perry, released in August 2013. What she really wanted to tell us was, we need to get a pension to fight this tyranny of the taxes, and she is right. It only took us seven years to get here. Katy Perry was great; she was a visionary. Now I offer you another podcast on pensions, as Katie would have wanted it. Today we continue our discussion on one particular type of pension, the PPP, the Personal Pension Plan. This is episode two of the three-part series, and I would like us to welcome back our guest, Mr. Jean-Pierre Laporte. How's my financial health, Doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. So let's let's talk a little bit about the tax advantages that. PPP gives you that you're not going to get with an RRSP because the reality is that 98% of business owners who are saving for retirement with a tax-assisted account, 98% are using the RRSP. And you know, in Canada, we have RRSP season. Everybody's talking about RRSPs all the time. It's almost it's almost as、uh, Canadian as a maple syrup.、Um, but the RRSP, unfortunately. As we said before, only has one tax advantage, which is this annual contribution, this 18% of the last year's earned income. You only get one tax deduction, and it's what we discussed before. It's 18% of last year's earned income, up to a limit called the RSP limit. 
And this year, the RSP limit is 27,230. With the PPP, we have access to seven tax deductions, not one. And some of these tax deductions dwarf the contributions that are permitted under the RRSP. So what are the seven tax deductions? Well, number one is on an annual basis, you can put more money in a PPP than an RRSP. The gap, the extra contributions that we are allowed to make that you cannot make with your RRSP depend on your age. From age 18 to age 38, we have a $600 advantage over the RRSP maximum. And then as you get older, that gap widens. And by the time you turn 64, it's over $18,000 more than the RSP maximum. Right. And I just want to maybe interrupt you there for a minute. Earlier, I, I asked, you know, when should be an ideal time? And you mentioned two factors. One, uh, you need to have some retained earnings and don't spend more than you earn. But two, in relation to age and coming back to this particular question, is there an ideal age where the gap is significant enough that it makes sense uh, from an actuary point of view? No. And that's probably why I didn't answer your question, because there is no perfect age. Uh, any age is good with a PPP. And the reason, Great. and you'll see, you'll see why when I go through all the tax deductions, you, you will see in your mind, it will build a story and you'll realize that it doesn't really matter uh, how young or how old you are, because if you're young, you're going to have the time value of money working in your favor. And yes. if you're old, you're going to have the buyback and terminal funding deductions, which I'll get into, working in your favor. Now, for, for IPP, there is a ideal age, is there not? Yeah, for an IPP, it's uh, nobody will set up, no, normally, nobody will set up an IPP for someone that's under the age of 40. Correct. But we don't have that problem with the PPP because if we have a physician that's under the age of 40, they can use the defined contribution in ABC uh, accounts or components and those contributions will exceed what you would have been able to put in an IPP at that age. Right. So this is the exciting part as well. Yes. Yes. For, for your younger physicians listening. Okay. Sorry. Let's go on with the third uh, tax deduction. Oh, well, the first one was the annual. The second one is what we call the RSP double dip. So in the year that you set up your PPP, not only are you putting more money in the, in the PPP than an RRSP, you can also do an RRSP contribution. And that RRSP contribution, remember what I told you with the T2033 CRA form, that RRSP contribution can then be rolled and contributed to the ABC account. So you end up with double the tax relief uh, in the first year. The third one is that in subsequent years, after the first year, you are able to do a small $600 a year tax deductible personally uh, contribution called the PA offset amount or pension adjustment offset amount. So that's a little extra freebie that uh, is unique to pension plans. The fourth one is what we call the buyback of past service. 
So if the professional corporation has been paying salaries or bonuses to a doctor in previous years, we are able to go backwards and we can go all the way back to 1991 in provinces where doctors were allowed to incorporate, but in Ontario, uh, it's not that far back. And we can count the salaries that were paid in previous years and say, okay, we're gonna modify that formula I was telling you about. And we're gonna make that much more generous. Instead of being zero years of credited service when you start, we're gonna start with, let's say 10 years of credited service. So we're able to look at the past, identify the years where a salary was paid, a salary or bonus, T4 income, and quantify what it would cost the pension plan to beef up the size of the pension by factoring those years. That creates cost. So when the professional corporation cuts a check to the pension plan, that amount becomes another corporate tax deduction. Exciting. And that can be, yeah, it could be significant because this is pre-tax dollars, right? You haven't yes. paid tax yet. Um, we, the, the largest um, buyback of past service deduction we've seen was about $560,000. Wow. Now, to put that in context, if you were, if you started working in 1991 and you maxed out, you put the maximum RSP contribution each and every year from 1991 till the present day, and then you were to add as a sum all of these contributions, don't, we're not talking about the growth on that, just the contribution, the raw contribution. Yep. You'd be looking at about $560,000. Okay. So here with one single past service deduction, we've already saved you the same thing that someone would have built up over 26 years. Interesting. Right? So that's why I'm saying some of the PPP deductions dwarf what you can do in an RSP, 27,230. Right. So that's that's number four, I guess. Number five is special payments. So special payments are contributions from the professional corporation that are tax deductible that are used to plug up holes in your pension fund when the internal rate of return on your assets being invested in the market are less than seven and a half percent. And you're probably wondering, well, where does this seven and a half percent come from? That's actually baked into the regulations that in the Income Tax Act that govern these types of plans. It's never been changed. It was fixed arbitrarily in 1991 and it's never been changed. And so it's kind of a hurdle rate. If you hit seven and a half percent or more, there's no need to put any more money into your pension plan. You're fully funded. There's enough cash that at the growth rate it's going at, it's going to give you enough money to pay that promised pension. If you're below 7.5%, we're going to have what's called an actuarial deficit, right? And we plug up that actual deficit by doing these special payments, by transferring extra money from the company into the pension plan. It's, um, it's, a, it's a way of making sure that the pension is fully, um, fully funded. So that's, that's uh, the special payments. Then the, the next one 
is the investment management fee deduction. We've already talked about it in the context uh, earlier on that under a pension plan, the rules allow the company to write off whatever it paid in investment management fees. Let's say there's $2 million in the pension plan and the portfolio manager that you've hired to look after your pension plan charges you uh, 1% on assets in the management. Well, there's $20,000 in fees being paid every year. In an RSP, you can't write it off. We talked about that. In a PPP, you can. So now the professional corporation can write off another $20,000 from its taxable income because it's a pension plan. Right, so the, that's, that's powerful. Well, yeah. And now, now I'm, I'm keeping the cherry for the top of the cake. Oh, this, this will blow your audience away. The last main tax advantage is called terminal funding. So terminal funding is a system or a mechanism by which if a physician decide to start drawing money from the pension plan sooner than normal retirement age, which is typically 65. So let's say a doctor says, you know what? I'd like to start taking a pension at age 62 instead of 65. I'm still going to work because I'm a shareholder of my professional corporation. I can still get dividends if my company makes money from OHIP. I want to start decumulating. I want to, instead of taking a salary, I'm going to start drawing on my pension plan. When you turn on the pension sooner, what happens is, well, think of it this way. If I start pulling money out of the pension plan before age 65, I'm not going to be entitled to receive the same pension that I would have had I kept investing and deferring until 65. I'm going to be penalized. I'm going to have a what's called an actuarial reduction. Right. Well, I'll give you a real life example. We have a, a case where the pension at age 65 is $175,000. At age 62, it's $123,000. Okay. So that's a pretty deep discount. Yeah. But if we were to do terminal funding, we could contribute an amount from the professional corporation to the pension plan in order to give the pension plan more cash to be able to pay an unreduced pension or slightly unreduced pension. So in the case I've given you, that unreduced pension would be $169,000. Yeah. So it's not a big penalty. And the way that we do it is the terminal funding amounts are used to beef up the size of the early retirement pension that's offered to the doctor. Right. But that's not necessary if the doctor continues working on a part-time basis and want to take it, uh, want to take dividends. That's, that's, that's an option. It's an option. Exactly. And you don't have to retire. You're retiring from the pension plan per se, but yeah. you're not truly retired from medicine. Right. So, so now what you've done, and, and just so you know, the tax deduction, the terminal funding amount for this case that I was telling you about, Mm-hmm. It's $525,000, over yeah. half a million dollar corporate write-off just to turn on the pension three years sooner. Okay, so I need you to explain what that means. So 
over half a million dollars could be deducted off the tax of the corporation uh, over three years or in that year. What what does in, it mean? In the year that you make the payment. Now the terminal funding payment, this five hundred and twenty-five thousand dollar cost, mm -hmm. can be amortized over time. Okay. So every year that the professional corporation cuts a check to the pension plan to pay down that cost, it claims that amount that it deduct that it contributed as a deduction from its corporate taxes. Okay. So yeah. So there's another another way to deduct tax from the in the corporation. Yeah, but it's a massive amount. Uh, so, of course. So so and the 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 largest thermal funding number we've seen in the last eight years that we've been operating um was 2.1 million dollars wow the thing that's exciting is let's say that the medical professional corporation owns some assets like some real estate maybe it owns a building mm -hmm. and let's say that the corporation depreciated the value of that real estate on its taxes over years yep. right but then they find a buyer Someone says, I want that building. I'm going to pay you top dollars for it. And the doctor just says, yeah, perfect. Let's do it. Let's sell it. So my corporation will sell you this, this uh, piece of real estate. When you sell real estate that's been depreciated, yeah. you have what's called a recapture to depreciation, and you have a capital gains. Right. So the corporation is now facing a massive tax bill. Yeah, exactly. Well, why not take the purchaser's money for the building, and transfer it into the pension plan under the terminal funding rules because the contribution under terminal funding will create a deduction which offsets the tax of having sold the real estate right and takes back all the capital gains exactly so now you've got you you haven't had to pay any tax you've got all the cash from the purchaser some of it you you dumped into your pension plan and when you do terminal funding, there's no income inclusion to the plan member. Because normally when a corporation offers a benefit to an employee, like a rental car or membership to a gym or whatever, you end up having to pay personal tax on that. It's yep. on your T4 slip, but there's an exception for terminal funding. Okay. In fact, for all contributions to a pension plan. So, so, so anyway, this is, and then the, I said there's seven, there's seven, but there's really more. There are more. <laughs> there's another one. There's another. You see, I get excited about these things. There's another one which is called um, pension income splitting. Yeah. So that doctor that's collecting one hundred sixty-nine thousand dollar a year pension in Ontario right now, if you were to pay tax on that, it would be about fifty fifty-five thousand dollars in taxes, but because the PPP is a true pension plan, unlike an RRSP or a RIF, where you have to be 65 or older to do what's called income splitting, pension income splitting with a spouse, with a PPP, you can be as, early, as, as young as age 50. So my guy, that's my doctor, that's got uh, $169,000 of pension income coming out of his pension plan can split it with his spouse. Maybe he has a spouse that's at home that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Each person now pays tax on half of the pension amount. Yes. The total tax payable, instead of being $55,000, is $36,400. Right. 
So that's an $18,000 that this couple is saving each and every year by having split that pension income. Right. And so that that could have happened with an RSP, but at a much later years. At 65 and over. Yeah. I have a question in regards to the eight magical, you know, uh, tax benefit that we have. And all of them brings me to one question, which is all this is possible if we create a pension, but also the pension takes into the fact that the shareholder or the doctor takes a salary. What if the accountant is telling the doctor, don't take a salary, take a dividend? (laughs) Can you still do a PPP? No. No, because the PPP is an employment pension plan. It requires employment income. Exactly. Now, you can take a mixture of salary and dividends. That's smart. And if an accountant says that, that's the right approach. But if they say, don't take any salary whatsoever, only rely on dividends, then you're shooting yourself in the foot because now you can't set up a pension plan. Right. Which is what a lot of my colleagues are doing. Their accountants are telling them take everything else as dividend because they want to save on the CPP uh, contribution, which is about $5,000 a year anyways. Uh, But then by doing that, you neglect the the PPP. Well, exactly. And you're also not building up any RSP room. Exactly. So there's obviously a lot of things to think about. And uh, that really gave us a lot uh, of food for thought. So let's come, we we saw the benefits. Let's talk a little bit about the cons. Are there any downsides to doing this? Or in your, in your perspective, maybe there, there isn't, but from. There are, there there are downsides. I mean, in life, nothing is perfect. The, the Achilles heel to use a, a medical term, Yes. The Achilles heel of the PPP is the fact that because it's so highly regulated, uh, there's a lot more paperwork that goes with it than an RSP. With an RSP, I can go online to any bank or and within 15 minutes, I key in my information and bang, I've got an RSP and I can start transferring money into it, contributing to it. Very, very simple. But you only get one deduction. Yep. <laughs> With a PPP, we have to file the plan documents with the government for approval. We have to file an actuarial valuation report to be able to make all of these extra contributions that the RSP system doesn't allow. So there are extra costs and, and uh, paperwork that you don't get with an RSP. Yeah. So that's the trade-off. Yeah. And some people... You know, and I, I, I feel for physicians, especially during COVID, they just don't have the bandwidth. They just don't want their life to be more complicated than it already is. And I understand that. But the flip side is they're going to be paying tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars more in taxes. So simplicity has a cost to it. Yeah. It's tough to trade off. Yeah. Well, know. there's always a trade off. Yeah. In, so in every decision we make. That is the trade-off is complexity 
um, versus paying less tax. Now, who who are the professionals that need to be involved? Obviously, a lawyer like yourself, an accountant. Who are the other professionals that need to be involved with this? There's no need for a lawyer to be involved. When you have a PPP, there is an actuary that has to prepare the, the report that gets filed with the government that tells the government that this is what we're planning to contribute. Mm-hmm. And so you do have that. Of course, if you have a corporation, typically you'll have an accountant. So it's not like you need a new accountant. It's the same accountant. Uh, and then you, you need a financial advisor who will invest the assets of the PPP. Yeah. Um, this is not for the do-it-yourselfer. Absolutely. No. It's, it's very complicated. Uh, but with proper guidance, uh, it's definitely something worth looking into. And so someone like yourself, you said you don't need a lawyer to create this, but you do need a company like yours uh, to help set up this type of thing. Or is, is this thing set up by the accountant or the actuary or no. a firm that deals with PPP? Integris is the only firm in Canada that does PPPs. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you didn't want a PPP and you wanted the IPP, yeah. then you can go to any actuarial firm. There's a, there's a bunch of small firms that specialize in IPPs yeah. and they will, they will set an IPP for you. So we, we talked about this a little bit uh, in regards to the withdrawal at the end. And so with, and they, with a PPP, can you remind us uh, or maybe talk a little bit more about how to withdraw and when to withdraw and the ideal time to withdraw? Just like I told you with the example of this doctor who decided to start withdrawing sooner than 65 in order to trigger this terminal funding tax deduction, um, we can, we can start as early as age 50 to start pulling money out of a PPP if that makes sense to replace the salary that's being paid by the professional corporation with, with the pension instead. Mm-hmm. Um, you can defer. So you don't have to start taking money at 65. 65 is called a normal retirement age, but we, the law allows us to defer taking retirement all the way to age 71, which is similar to the RIF rule. At 71, you must, if you're not going to wind up the plan and terminate it and take the money elsewhere, if you're going to keep the plan open and active, you must start drawing your pension at by 71. Like a RIF. Like a RIF, yeah. And when you do that at age 71, yeah. and so there is a fixed amount, there's not a minimum. No. In fact, the fixed amount uh, must be higher than the RIF minimum. Okay. And this, this amount is set at the outset or is set only at the withdrawal? Because uh, it's based on a formula, correct? This is a formula. So you know all along what your, what your pension will be. Right. That's the essence of a defined benefit. The benefit is defined ahead of time. So you know what to, you're going to retire on. And typically, what is that amount set at? You mentioned 2% as an example, but what is it typically? Well, yeah, 2% is the highest. We call that the accrual rate. That's a measure of how generous the pension is. 
2% is the most generous accrual rate in Canada, uh, unless you're like a firefighter or a ambulance operator or a, or a, a police officer, where it's 2.33%. But for every other Canadian, the maximum you can get under a pension plan is 2% of your salary uh, multiplied by the number of years you've been saving under the plan. So we could do it, we could make it less generous. We could say, okay, how about 1.5%? So that means your pension would be lower. If, if you really wanted that, we could set it up that way. But typically people want to maximize their tax deductions. Yes. So we, we, set, it, we set them all at 2%. And so there is, there is no minimum age uh, to withdraw, but you, you took the age of 50. I, I guess that's the reasonable age to start withdrawing. And the maximum is 71. Yeah, we, right now we have a case, I think, in Alberta where someone is 43. Wow. And they want to retire. So we're going to amend the plan text because right now it says 55. Yeah. That's a total off the press sort of uh, early date. We're going to amend it to the current age so that this person can start taking their pension. And so is that amendment uh, something that is very process driven and very difficult or is that no. no 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 it's it's just a piece of paper with a filing form that says we're changing this section we're changing this word from this this amount to this amount and that's it we just file out with the government and now the plan allows this person to retire at 53 uh 43 sorry 43 yeah 43. and they could still continue working part-time and taking dividends out of the corporation as opposed to an income they're not allowed to take any salary anymore because they're technically retired. Correct. But they can take dividends because they're shareholder. Correct. The standard of living doesn't change, but now they've got this million dollar thermal funding opportunity. Correct, correct. Now that thermal funding opportunity that you said was a more, could be amortized. Yeah. Um, and so it could be amortized over how many years? 15 years. 15. Okay. Very exciting. Very exciting. I, I uh, truly uh, love this discussion. Uh, definitely has uh, opened my, uh, my eyes to the different possibilities. And possibilities, there are many. Now that we've gone through the tax advantages of this particular type of pension plan, we are going to stop this episode and continue with our third episode coming soon so please stay attentive for the next episode which will be coming very very soon where we discuss the different opportunities that we can invest inside a ppp if you want to reach out to me you can go on to my new website financialhealthdoc.com again it is financialhealthdoc.com or email me at hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. One more time, it is hmfhd2020 at gmail.com. How is My Financial Health Doc podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. 
The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer, or accountant for specific advice.